The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. Scripture reading today is Revelation 13, 9 through 21. Then I looked and I heard an eagle cry with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. And then a fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke, like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft, Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions on the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, their hair like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses running into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. The first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. And this is how I saw the horses and my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates of the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lion's heads and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails for their tails are like serpents with heads and by means of them they wound. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or of their sorceries or of their sexual immorality or of their thefts. This is the word of the Lord. So I do invite you to open your Bibles to Revelation 8. Uh, There are many things that I'm going to miss when I no longer have little bitty kids living in my house. However, 
One thing I will not miss at all are electrical outlet covers. Y'all know these like safety things that are impossible for adults to get off of the, the electrical outlet, right? Like it's supposed to keep kids from sticking anything and everything into an outlet and frying their brains. Like eventually, somewhere along the way, you hope that children learn the right way to use an outlet. Like we have these things in our house, not because they're dangerous, but because they're good and helpful things. But children only learn to use them after years of warning them that if you use this wrongly, it will kill you. Shades? Everything in creation is like an electrical outlet. God has designed it all for good, powerful, life-giving purposes. The life, he's designed it all for the life-giving purpose of pointing us to Him. But when we use anything in creation wrongly to replace Him, we call that idolatry and it leads to death. When we use possessions, property, sex, relationships, power, careers, politics, whatever, when we try to use anything and everything in creation as our source of security, satisfaction, and joy, that, that's like sticking your finger in an outlet. Using something good in a way that will literally kill you. And last week, in Revelation 8, we saw that just like I warned my kids about electrical outlets, God trumpets forth warnings to this world. He trumpets forth warnings to, to lovingly reveal that nothing in creation can replace him as our ultimate source of security or satisfaction or joy. God trumpets forth warnings to show that that path of idolatry and immorality leads to destruction and death. Last week we walked through the first four trumpets of Revelation that revealed that God uses what we call natural disasters or natural evil, wildfires, hurricanes, we have some experience with those here recently, pandemics. These first four trumpets revealed that God uses natural evil, natural disasters for his sovereign good purpose of warning the world and waking up the church. We saw that this is what God is doing right now in the last days of the church age. The last days of the church age, remember, is from the time of Jesus' resurrection until he returns again. That's how the New Testament talks about the last days. And during that entire time, God is blasting forth these four trumpets to warn the world and to wake his church. In, in other words, these trumpets are not a timeline of events. They are events that typify this time, the church age. Things like this typify the church age. They happen all throughout it. Natural disasters typified the first century church and the world that they lived in. Remember, Revelation was originally written to seven churches in the first century in Asia Minor. And if you remember when we read about them, especially in chapters 2 and 3, many people within those churches had been lulled into a spiritual slumber by the idolatry and immorality of the Roman culture that surrounded them. 
Many of them were indulging in the security of Roman wealth and citizenship. Uh, Many of them found satisfaction by mixing in with their Christianity some Roman religion, especially its sexuality and its sexual practices. They They were sticking their fingers in the electrical outlets of Roman idolatry and immorality. And so with these trumpet blasts, Revelation is reminding them. Reminding them of how trumpet blasts in their days, like volcanic eruptions that buried Pompeii, or earthquakes that shook multiple cities in Asia Minor to the ground. They're familiar with all of this. And Revelation is reminding them how the trumpet blasts of their day reveal again and again None of these idolatries and immoralities can provide ultimate and lasting security, satisfaction, or the joy that they promise. These trumpet blasts typified the time of the first century, the entire church age, all the way up to our day. These things still typify our time. Because we still live in the last days of the church age. God is still warning the world and waking his church with trumpet blasts that echo throughout our world. Can you hear them? Our country's been experiencing, I mean, not even looking at the world this past week, just looking at our country this past week. Country's been experiencing wildfires, hurricanes, and a pandemic. And through it all, God is lovingly, lovingly, don't let us be deceived by these things, he is lovingly at work stripping away all of our false sources of security and satisfaction in order to reveal the only secure, satisfying source of eternal joy, himself. Now, if you want more on this, you've got to go back to last week, but I want to make a caveat real quick. Of course, all of these things, wildfires, hurricanes, pandemics, natural evil, natural disasters, all of these things, of course we can talk about all of these things as evil. Of course we can say that all of these things are a result of our world being broken by sin. Of course we can say that the enemy, Satan, is at work through all of these things to destroy our faith. And he gets every ounce of credit for all of that evil. But we must also see that God is sovereign over all evil, working his good, righteous, and right, loving purposes of warning the world and waking his church. You want to see how God can be sovereign over evil? See how he was at the most evil act ever, the cross. There has never been an act more evil than the crucifixion of the sinless Son of God, and yet God sovereignly worked over it, through it, under it, It was the will of the Lord to crush him for his good, right, and righteous purposes. And God gets all the credit for that. And every ounce of evil gets credited to man and to the enemy. This is how God relates to all evil ever. And through, we have seen, through natural evil, he's warning the world and waking his church. Warning us that we can't find ultimate security in our job. Has the pandemic not warned us of that? Find ultimate security, identity, and job, it can be gone. Warning us so we don't find ultimate security in our home and possessions. Can a wildfire not remind you of that? 
or a hurricane, home, possessions, gone. Warning us that we don't find our ultimate security in our health or our health care system, in our financial stability, or in our political leaders. Through all of this, God is waking us to the fact that we can't find ultimate satisfaction in money, in sex, in power, or comfort, or the guarantee of a normal life. None of those things can be our security, or our satisfaction, or ultimate joy, because none of those things can be our God. Only Him. Do we hear God's trumpet blast that lovingly warn the world and wake his church. How will the world respond to those first four trumpets we saw last week? How will we, the church, respond? The final three trumpets reveal how we respond and why we respond that way. For the rest of our time this morning, we're going to look at trumpets five and six to see the how and the why of the world and the church's response. How and the why. So first, let's look at, for the majority of our time, the world. How does the world respond? And why? Why do they respond to God's warning trumpet blast the way that they do? I think Revelation 9 gives us a three-part answer. So here's part number one. The trumpet blast warned the world but the world responds in rebellion. Trumpet blasts warn the world, but the world responds in rebellion. Look at the last verse of Revelation chapter 8, verse 13. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. The Old Testament often uses an eagle as a symbol of salvation and judgment. It can be a symbol of either one because an eagle can act as a loving, saving parent and rescue one of its young that's fallen out of the nest and bear it up on its eagle on its wings. The Lord talks about how he saves like this, bearing us up on wings like an eagle. An eagle can do that, or an eagle can be a fierce predator that attacks, picks its enemy's bones clean. So it can be a picture of salvation or judgment, and right here this eagle very clearly announces judgment. Woe to those who do not heed the warning of the first four trumpets. Woe to those who do not wake up through repentance. Woe to those who continue in rebellion. The eagle's threefold woe right here, is addressed specifically to those who dwell on the earth, or more explicitly from the Greek, earth dwellers. I mention that because we've talked about this term before. It occurs again and again in Revelation, almost like a a technical term. It always refers to those who live in rebellion against God, to those who set themselves up as God's enemies, to those who oppose God. God. What we're seeing right here is that the trumpet blasts warn the world, but the world responds in rebellion. Why? I mean, practically, like in our world, we see this all the time, don't we? Like wildfires, hurricanes, pandemics, they 
They don't cause unbelievers to repent and turn to God. I mean, if anything, I think what we normally see is events like that make people angrier at God. I get asked by people who don't believe all the time, how can you believe in this God who loves the world if, if things like the pandemic happen? And pushes them further into their rebellion. They rebel against Him all the more. Why? I mean, these trumpet blasts, they, they reveal the emptiness of all the world's idols. The pandemic blatantly displays that we can't find ultimate security and satisfaction in our jobs and our security and our health or in any of these things. The trumpet blasts blatantly display that everything the world trusts in for security and satisfaction consistently fails them and proves empty. Yet, they respond in rebellion, clinging even tighter to their idolatry and immorality. Pandemic takes my job, I'm going to cling all the tighter to career and money and the security I think it can provide. Threatens my health, I'm going to cling all the more to my health. Revelation, this isn't just the response we see in the world, this is the response we see in Revelation itself. Look, look at the very end of chapter 9, verses 20 and 21. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see, hear, or walk. In other words, which have been solidly and completely and systematically proved to be useless and pointless and empty, powerless and impotent. Idolatry has been proven empty. It can offer no security, and yet they cling to it. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts, even though the trumpets have proven all of their immorality completely empty, can't provide ultimate satisfaction. They cling to it. They're like a kid with an electrical outlet. The more you warn them, the more you correct them, the more you cover that outlet, the more they want to stick their finger in it. The trumpet blasts warn the world, but the world responds in rebellion. Why? The eagle has shown us that we're about to get the answer. Three woes are headed our way. They are the blasts of the final three trumpets. Three woes are just a name for trumpets five, six, and seven. And the first woe, trumpet five, it begins to answer the question, why? Why does the world respond to the warnings of the first four trumpets with more rebellion? Look at Revelation 9. Hang on to your seat. We're going to read verses 1 to 12 to get this planted in your head because we've got to fly through some of this. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. And he opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth, nor any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. 
They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces. Their hair like women's hair. Their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions. And their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as... King over them, the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon. In the Greek, he's called Apollyon. First woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. The fifth trumpet gives us the second part of our answer concerning the world's response to the warning trumpets. Namely, the trumpet blasts warn the world, but the world responds in rebellion due to demonic deception. Trumpet blasts warn the world, but the world responds in rebellion due to demonic deception. There's a lot going on right here. Hang with me. If you felt like it was a fire hydrant already, get ready to turn up the pressure. John sees a star falling from heaven to earth, but this star isn't really a star. We know pretty immediately it is some kind of spiritual being. And if you remember all the way back in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 20, we have actually already seen stars used symbolically for angels. But if this is an angel, he seems evil. For he is given the key to the bottomless pit, the abyss. He doesn't have sovereignty over it. He has to be given the key. And this bottomless pit, this abyss, this is not a spatial place like you could go find it and dig it up on earth or something like this. It's not a spatial place. It is, it is a spiritual realm. It's a reference. It's one of the many ways that Revelation and the Bible refer to the spiritual realm of evil. In other words, this evil angel is given authority to command demonic agents of evil. Verse 11 actually calls him king over demons, calls him the angel of the bottomless pit, gives him a Hebrew name, Abaddon, and gives it the Greek equivalent, Apollyon. Both of those names translated mean the destroyer. I think, I think it's pretty clear that we are seeing none other than Satan himself right here. Abaddon, Apollyon, the destroyer. The angel who fell like a star. Jesus said in Luke 10 and verse 18, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. That sounds a lot like a star to me. And right there, it's a really important passage for us. Luke chapter 10. I want you to go back and look at this later. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 18. Read the next couple of verses at least through 19. So right there, Jesus is speaking to his followers. And he says, I was near the beginning of his ministry, and he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Right here, Jesus was announcing that something was happening because of his ministry. When Jesus came as the light of the world, lived revealing the way, died revealing the truth, and rose again revealing the life, Satan was also at work to bring darkness instead of light. That's what Jesus is saying here. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. This isn't a literal reference to Satan's hanging out in heaven and all of a sudden he gets kicked in his pants and he falls down like lightning or like a star. 
It's a symbolic way of Jesus saying, I have come and so has another. And he's come right alongside me to work in the exact opposite direction of me. I came to bring light. He came to bring darkness. I came to bring the truth. He came to deny the truth. I came to bring life. He came to destroy life. He is a bad on, a polyon, the destroyer. And this is precisely what the vision of Trumpet 5 reveals. During the last days of the, of the church age, which began with the resurrection of Christ, or right from when Christ came, until he comes again, during those last days, Satan and his agents aim to darken and destroy all, aim to darken and destroy all through the work of demonic deception. Is that not what we see beginning in verse 2? When we're told that Satan opens up the abyss and smoke rises out of it, and we're told this, the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Darkness is a common biblical symbol for deception or spiritual blindness. And from the darkness come Satan's demons, whose aim is deception. They're described like an army of locusts. Because locusts destroy everything in their path. Later today, go, look, look up like pictures or, or video of what a locust swarm can do, like some before and after pictures. They will take beautiful, lush, fertile land and just strip it bare. They consume everything. They destroy everything in their path. Thus, in the Old Testament, there are several places where invading armies are described as being like a locust swarm. Because just like locusts, invading armies leave destruction in their wake. In fact, if you read the prophet Joel, the first two chapters, that's really what lies behind a lot of what's going on right here in Revelation 9. You read the first two chapters of the prophet Joel, you're going to find a ton of Joel's language echoed right here in Revelation 9. And Joel describes an army being like Locust, and that's exactly what this demonic army is like. They're like destructive locusts, except for the fact that locusts destroy plants. Verse 4 says these demons do not do that. They aim to destroy people. And they do it through deception. You can see that through you, you can see that they are aiming to bring about destruction through deception. You can see that through the way this demonic army is described. Now, before we launch into some of these details, this psychedelic swarm of locusts here. I have a friend that calls them locusts on LSD. The point of this psychedelic description is not for us to figure out what every last little detail represents. Told you a million times, Revelation is not a code to crack. Like, we're not supposed to go, okay, well, what are the golden crowns for? Why do they have faces like humans? What, what, what about this hair like women? The point is not found in the pieces. The point is found in the whole. All of these images combine to reveal an army of destruction through deception. First, let me show you, destruction. They're compared to locusts. We already talked about how that's an insect of destruction. But these right here in this vision, they are not tiny insects. They are like full-size, they're described as being like full-size horses prepared for battle with their freaky faces and hair and lion-like teeth armored in 
iron, sounding like chariots rushing into battle, led by one whose name is literally destroyer. All of that imagery combines to reveal a demonic army of destruction. And they bring about this destruction through deception. That's the second thing I want you to see, deception. In verse 2, we were told that this army comes out of darkness. We've already talked about how that's a symbol, a biblical symbol for deception. Verses 3 and verse 10 tell us that they are given power like scorpions. I've been freaked out by scorpions ever since I saw Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. The special effects don't hold up, but it is still horrifying. Scorpions are arachnids. And scorpions are actually used by the Old Testament and the New Testament often paired with serpents. Now, that pairing comes from the Israelites' experience in wandering through the wilderness where they encountered scorpions and serpents. And so often you get scorpions and serpents in biblical symbolism paired together as creatures associated with deception. In fact, let me take you back to Luke chapter 10 one more time. Remember Luke 10 and verse 18 near the beginning of Jesus' ministry? Right when he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I see Satan on the move to bring about destruction. Do you know what the very next thing he does? He talks about Satan's minions that come alongside him, demons. Do you know what he compares them to? Serpents and scorpions. Revelation 9 And verse 8 specifically shows us how these things are linked to deception. Verse 8 speaks specifically about their mouths. The mouth is the main thing used in deception, and their mouths are filled with lion's teeth. Go read Psalm 58, which talks about serpents and lions, but it associates both of their mouths, both of their teeth, their jaws, with destruction through lies and deceptions. These demons are just like the destroyer who leads them. For do we not also know that he prowls around like a lion seeking someone to devour? And they've got teeth just like his shades through all of this imagery piling up on top of one another. See this. This is a demonic army that brings destruction through deception. Because they deceive people into holding on to their idolatry and immorality. This is what happens right right after those first four trumpet blasts of warning that are supposed to wake us up, get us to let go of our idolatry and immorality, see that none of it can satisfy, none of it can give ultimate joy, only God can. Right after that is when this army is released to deceive people into continuing to hold on to their idolatry and immorality. Even when God's trumpet blast of warning revealed that none of that can give security, satisfaction, or joy. Even then, Satan is at work waging war to convince the world and to, to, to convince the world to keep clinging to the things that will ultimately kill them. He's at work keeping the world in a hopeless situation. Think about it. to keep clinging to lust that will never satisfy and fill you with the love that you long for. Satan's at work to keep you clinging to that. He's at work to keep you clinging to wealth as if that could give you security and keep you safe. 
He's at work to keep you clinging to the next political leader as if they could finally be your savior. Satan and the hosts of hell wage war to deceive you and keep you clinging to any and every idolatry and immorality. They wage war to keep you hopeless. Is that not precisely what verse 6 says? And in those days people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. People will be so hopeless they want to die. But death flees from them. I think that symbolically means that death refuses to provide them any comfort either. They have no comfort in life. And even when they turn to death, there's no comfort there either. No comfort in life. No comfort in death. No hope. I don't know any deeper definition of hopelessness. And right here in this vision, for a hopeless world, it looks like time is running out. Verse 5 said this demonic locust army wasn't allowed to bring death. Just deceive. Can't bring ultimate final judgment. They're not allowed to bring death. But verse 5 also said that that time of restraint was limited to five months. That's the life cycle of a locust swarm. Just symbolically means that time is limited. It symbolically points to the reality that the time of deception is meant to end in something even more grim eventually. The sixth trumpet will sound, and the sixth trumpet gives us the third part of our answer concerning the world's response to the warning trumpets. There's the third part. The trumpet blast warned the world, but the world responds in rebellion due to demonic deception that ultimately leads to destruction and death. The world responds in rebellion due to demonic deception that ultimately leads to destruction and death. Look at Revelation 9, verses 13 to 15. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet and heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who'd been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. Israel's ancient enemies, Babylon, Assyria, Persia, they all came from the north. They all crossed over the Euphrates. The, the reference to the Euphrates right here is not giving us literal geography. It is symbolically describing a new and final invading army. In other words, all the armies of old were just previews. This is the final army prepared for this hour this day, this month, this year, all of that is end-of-the-world type language right there. Trumpet 6 is beginning to unfold final judgment. And this final enemy army 
We know even further that they're not coming specifically to a geographical location like the Euphrates. We know that because we know they're coming worldwide. Because they're led by four evil angels, four demons. Four, we've seen again and again and again, is the number that means worldwide in Revelation. And this army that comes fully and finally worldwide has a worldwide effect. They kill a third of mankind. This is a final army of destruction. This shows where all deception ultimately leads to death. This is precisely how verses 16 to 19 describe this army. It is described as an army of destruction through deception that leads to death. I want you to see that with me. First, they are an army of destruction. Look at verse 16. Verse 16 says that there are 200 million of them, if you do the math. All right, that is not meant to be a literal number. It's symbolic, as we've seen with all of the numbers in Revelation. If you were in the first century and you read this right here, what you would automatically do is compare this in your head with the largest known army in the world, the Roman army, which has a standing army of 150,000 with auxiliary troops of 150,000, 300,000, largest army you've ever seen. And basically right here you encounter an innumerable force of destruction. This is an army of destruction. And it happens... Through deception. That's the second thing that we need to see. Verse 17 says this army's horses have heads like lions. Hmm. Where have we already seen that symbolism before that refers to demonic deception? Verse 19 says that their power is in their lion-like mouths and their serpent-like tails. In other words, they are just like their leader who's not only a roaring lion roaming around seeking those who he may devour, but he is also the serpent of old whose mouth has spoken deception from the beginning. This is an army of destruction through deception. And it ultimately leads to death. That's the third and final thing we need to see about this army right here. It's a destructive army. It destroys through deception and it leads to death. Verse 17 says that red, the red of fire, the blue of smoke, and the yellow of sulfur are all reflected in the breastplates of these warriors. Because that's the very thing that pours out of the mouths of their horses. Fire, smoke, sulfur. And verse 18 declares, by these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. The mouth, the tool of deception is what leads to death. This is where all of Satan's darkness and destruction is aimed. All of his deception is aimed at death. Jesus said it best himself in John 8 and verse 44. He says, he, Satan, was a murderer from the beginning. And he doesn't stand in truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus says, rewind the clock all the way to the beginning. And Satan was a murderer there. How is he bringing about death even there? Through deception, Jesus says. He's a liar from the beginning and a father of lies. And he uses his deception to bring about death. Look back at our first parents. 
He deceived them to bring about death. He deceived them by convincing them that something in creation could satisfy their souls more than God. He convinced them that something could take God's place. And shades, his lie has not changed. He is still trying to get us to to stick anything and everything in the electrical outlet of idolatry and immorality. Shades, do not be deceived. It all leads to death. May these trumpet blasts wake us up just like they were originally meant to wake up those who were being deceived in the churches, the seven churches of Asia Minor. Remember those churches. Never let them out of view. This book was originally written first to them before it is ever for us. And these trumpet blasts were meant first to wake them up so that they would not be deceived. Do you remember back in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation as we walked through the individual messages to these seven churches? Do you remember how many times we saw people in these churches being deceived by false teachers? False teachers who would tell these churches, you know what, it's okay. It's okay. For you to participate in the idolatry of your city. I mean, it'll help you avoid persecution. It's to your social and economic advantage. You know what these false teachers, they would say? It's okay. It's okay for you to participate in the sexual immorality of your city. I mean, if you don't, you're going to be ostracized from your culture. You'll miss out on a lot of satisfaction and pleasure. And I mean, even if it is wrong, God will forgive you anyway. That's what grace is for. You remember us reading all of that? And do you remember, Shades, Jesus called these false teachers in these churches demonic. He told Pergamum, your false teachers are like Balaam. You remember that? Demonically deceiving you. And Jesus said, I will come and war against them with the sword of my mouth. With the truth. He told Thyatira, your false teacher, is like Jezebel of old. And she claims to teach you the deep things of Satan. You remember Jesus told that church, those things, they will lead you to death. And these trumpet blasts are meant to wake up the compromised people in these churches to the reality that these false teachers, they may put on a good face, but they are part of an army of, de- of demonic locusts consuming people's lives. These false teachers, they may speak with smooth words, but they're like fire-breathing horses on which the devil's demonic hordes ride, ultimately bringing death to those they deceive. Shades, may these trumpet blasts wake us up to see the false teachers of Satan's army. Those who would teach you, even those in the church, claiming to be in the church, on conference speaking tours and writing books and putting out YouTube videos and whatever else, even those in the church who would teach you that ultimate joy is found in anything other than Jesus. 
Those who would teach you it's okay to participate in the idolatry of our culture. I mean, it's going to help you avoid persecution, and it's going to be to your social and economic advantage. Those who would teach you it's okay to participate in the sexual immorality of your culture. I mean, if you don't, you're going to be ostracized from your culture. You'll miss out on a lot of pleasure, even if it is wrong. It's okay. God will forgive you. That's what grace is for. Shades. These are false teachers of Satan's army. They would teach you that ultimate joy is found in anything other than Jesus. That is what Revelation 9 is about. Shades. Let me be abundantly clear. We are not in Revelation 9, being warned to be on the lookout for literal locusts and fire-breathing horses. But we are being warned to look out for the innumerable ways, 200 million different ways that the enemy's forces take aim at your heart to convince you to treasure and trust in something else in creation over your creator, Christ. Shades, do do not respond to the trumpet blast in rebellion by buying into demonic deception. That leads to destruction and death. Don't respond in rebellion. Respond in repentance. Verse 20 reminds us that that's the aim of these trumpets, to get us to respond in repentance. That's what the trumpets are aiming at. And verse 18 reminds us that there is still time. Do you notice that even as, if you look at verse 18, do you notice that even as trumpet 6 begins to blow, even as trumpet 6 begins to unfold how deception ultimately ends in death, Did you notice that death here is symbolically limited to a third of mankind? Symbolic, it just means it's limited. In other words, we haven't reached the end yet. We saw the exact same thing. If you can remember, I'm going to to ask a lot of you right now. If you can remember all the way back to chapter 6 when we were walking through the seven seals. If you can remember, we saw the exact same thing that we're seeing with trumpet 6. We saw the exact same thing with seal number Six. When the sixth seal was broken, and there was a cosmic quake, shook heaven and earth. It was like final judgment began to unfold, but then it paused. There was an interlude before the seventh and final seal, as if to say, judgment isn't here yet. It's still delayed. There's still time. We're getting the same thing right here with trumpet number six. Trumpet number six, it's like final judgment has begun to unfold. This is the day, the time, the place. Those four angels are fully and finally released. This is Satan's demonic activity concluding in death. But it's about to be put on pause. We're going to get a two-chapter interlude next week as if to say final judgment isn't here yet. It's delayed. There's still time. And in that interlude, Shades, we are going to see how the true church responds to these trumpet blasts. I want us to take a very quick preview peek at it with a three-part answer. 
how the true church responds to these trumpet blasts. Number one, the trumpet blasts wake the church and the church responds in repentance. The trumpet blasts wake the church and the church responds in repentance. In other words, when the true Christian is awakened to the fact that they have been trusting, they've been trusting in or they've been treasuring something other than Christ. When they're awakened to that, they don't continue to rebel. The true Christian repents of their rebellion. I'm not saying that true Christians never rebel. We do. I, I do all the time. But I am saying that the trumpet blasts of God will eventually wake true Christians to repentance. To turn from any idol they've been trusting in. To turn from any immorality they've been treasuring and to turn back to Christ. That's what repentance is. Repentance is turning to Christ. A lot of people have a very negative view of repentance. Repentance is not just like loathing yourself and going through self-punishment for your rebellion. Repentance is not when you find yourself in rebellion against God and punishing yourself for rebellion. That's penance. That's not our thing. Because it's not the gospel's thing. Repentance isn't punishing yourself for rebellion. Repentance is turning from rebellion and turning to Christ. Repentance is loving Christ. I turn turn from myself to Christ because I want Him, I love Him. I turn from everything else, anything else to Christ because I, I love Him, I want Him. You cannot Love Christ without repentance. It's impossible. Because to not repent is to not turn to Christ. It's to embrace a life of self or a life of anything and everything else. And when we've been living that way, embracing self, embracing anything and everything else, when we've been living that way and a trumpet blast takes away the things we've been trusting in and the things we've been treasuring, it's to wake us up so that we respond in repentance. Why do we respond that way? What I mean is this. The, The world responds to the trumpet blast we've seen with more rebellion. Why don't we do that too? Why would we do something different? Why do Christians respond to the same trumpet blast with repentance? Are we smarter than the world? They don't get it. Their idolatry and immorality is empty. They need to let go of it and turn to Christ. They don't get it. We're smarter than they are. Good thing we're smarter than they are. Do we repent because we're more spiritual than they are? Is it because we're better people? Not according to Scripture. Not according to Revelation 9 and verse 4, which shows us the second part of how the church responds. The trumpet blasts wake the church, and the church responds in repentance due to God's grace. The church responds in repentance due to God's grace. Look at verse 4. They, that's the demonic locust army, they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant, or any tree. 
but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. These scorpion-like demonic hosts, these serpent-like demonic hosts, they can't touch those sealed by God. Jesus said something similar. You want to guess where? Luke 10, 18. Where he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. The very next thing he says, and behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. He's making a reference to spiritual beings, to demons, and he's saying that we ultimately as the people of God are protected. He goes on to say why. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You've been sealed. The imagery here goes back to chapter 7. Do you remember back in chapter 7 we saw the entire people of God sealed, protected, not physically. We're going to see that the people of God suffer a lot physically. We're protected, not physically, but spiritually from the attacks of the enemy, the attacks we see right here in Revelation chapter 9. Shades, the reason that you respond to God in repentance is because you have been sealed with His Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who convicts us through the trumpet blast and brings us to repentance, brings us back to Christ. This is the grace of God on your life. Repentance is a grace of God. It's a gift of God according to 2 Timothy 2.25. Faith is a gift of God according to Ephesians 2 and verse 8. That you repent, turn from things, and have faith, turn to Christ, is a complete and total gift of God. This is the grace of God on your life. You and I, we don't cling to Christ because we are smarter than the world, or because we're more spiritual than the world, or because we are better people than the world. We cling to Christ because the grace of God has been poured out on us. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4 says, The God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Is that not what we've seen going on in Revelation chapter 9? Satan working to deceive, to blind their minds to seeing the glory of Christ. So what makes the difference for us? 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God has done something to fight back the darkness of deception in your life. You're not smarter than everybody else, more spiritual than everybody else, better than everybody else. God has done something. God has saved God has shown a light so that you see Jesus as the truest treasure. Not anything else in all of creation. Jesus is your ultimate joy. God's shown a light so that you behold His glory. God did this. God has saved you and God will keep you saved. Sealed you. Sometimes He keeps you saved with trumpet blasts to wake you up from idolatry and immorality that you've been embracing so that you will respond in repentance. This is all due to God's grace and this is why we give God the glory. This is the third and final part of our answer. The trumpet blast wake the church and the church responds in repentance due to God's grace that leads to God's glory. 
Shades, when we wake up and repent, we don't pat ourselves on the back. We praise God. We thank Him for waking us. We thank Him for bringing us back. We give God the glory through worship. I think, I think that the most beautiful mystery is that this worship serves as a witness to the world. The world that ignored the warning of the trumpet blast and continued in their rebellion, refusing to repent. I wonder what will happen. I wonder what will happen when they see the worshiping witness of the church. Ignore the trumpet blast of the warning. I wonder what will happen when they see the worshiping witness of the church. What will happen when they see the church trumpet forth the glory of God because of the grace of God? Could that be what will wake up the world? Shades, it's to that question that we will turn our attention next week in Revelation 10 and 11.